All right, guys, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 9 through the end of, well, up to verse 20, not the end. I'm going too far in my mind, sorry. I'm confusing myself looking at my paper here. Uh, Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at the final group today. So let's kind of remind ourselves what we're doing. Our whole purpose in entering into this study is to understand our faith. And I am constantly reminded as I meet people and as I listen to people on the radio or on TV and I listen to Christians, that a lot of people claim faith, but when you ask them or when they're given the opportunity to explain it or even to understand what it is that they believe in, most people don't even have a clue. For some, faith is I prayed a prayer. I prayed some prayer. Or I got baptized. Or I attend church. But that's not what it is. That's not what faith in Christianity is. That's not what faith in Jesus is. It's faith. Not just adhering to a set of beliefs, but a commitment. A trust in. So that when you get over to chapter 1, verse 17, he gives us the core verse, which is the core verse for all of Romans. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's what it's about. It's about you and I living our life by faith in who, folks? God. Period. Nothing else. And so to set that out, he begins his letter by talking about the reality that, well, everybody's going to hell. And so as to understand that reality, he presents to us four different groups of people. And we've already kind of looked through the first three. First group is the people who say, and we meet those people who don't want to have God in their life at all. They don't care about God. They're just doing their own thing. And God said, okay, I'll give you over. And they face the consequences of their sins. The next group are the folks, they're, they're not necessarily religious, they're just moral. Ever met somebody who doesn't go to church, but they're a moral person? They're doing what their grandma or their dad taught them to do, or maybe they developed a moral code on their own. But here's the problem, they judge everybody else by their moral code. And they're, they're wagging the finger at other people. They're better than everyone else. But the fact is, Paul points out, huh, the problem is, is they're doing the same things. And the standard by which they judge others, others they will themselves be judged by. Then he gets to the third group, which is, which is the group that I kind of feel like should make us uncomfortable. In his situation, he refers to them as Jews because most of the church was Jewish at that time. But it's the religious folks. It's the folks who do all the right things. They hold the word of God. They stand on the word of God. In fact, they present themselves as teachers of morality, but yet they don't live up to it themselves. They have empty religious actions that they do. And that's what they base their security in. And he says, the problem with them is, they're just as guilty as the first group who doesn't want to have anything to do with God. Or the moral guy who's being judged by his standard by which he judges everyone else. They're all going to hell. 
So then that brings us to our final group. What do you mean our final group? Well, it's for that person, because maybe you're that person today who would say, well, you know, George, yeah, okay, three groups, I get it. First group, yeah, the ones who don't want to have anything to do with God, yeah, I understand that. The moral guy, yeah, he's the judgmental guy. I'm not like that, though. Well, then there's the third guy, group, that's the religious group, the holier-than-thou group. I'm definitely not like that. I don't fit into any of those groups. I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, I think Paul anticipated that. Because he wants to tell you, you're not okay. In fact, that's the human dilemma. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The human dilemma. All humanity is facing the same problem. And they're making the wrong choice in the dilemma. And to be honest with you, you can't expect them to make the right choice. What do you mean? Well, look with me. We're going to look at it together. Let's start with verse 9. We're going to go, go to verse 20. Here's what the apostle writes. What then? Are we better than they? Okay, stop. So he's talking about those other three groups. So he's introducing this, third, this fourth group, and he's asking the question, are you better than them? We already know the answer, right? It's a rhetorical question, right? You're not any better. Here's what he says. What then? Are we better than them? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to look at this last group, which is basically all of us. That's really the last group. It's everybody. It's kind of like I've got this category of people I'm dealing with, and just to say everybody else. The fourth group is everybody else that I haven't already talked about. And the problem is, is everybody else has got a problem. They're going to hell. And here's why. OK? 
Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the human reality, verse 9. Then we're going to see the human condition in verses 10 through 18. And when we go through this, you're going to understand because you're going to be like, yeah, that's all of us. We all do this. And then we're going to see the condemnation. We're going to see why this group has a problem. And hopefully, though, I'm going to end it up with a positive thing for you, okay? Because I know this has been heavy the last few weeks. But if we're going to understand faith and salvation and what God has done for us, you need to understand why there is a salvation, right? You need to understand why there is a problem and the salvation being the solution to the problem, okay? So let's take a look at it together. I want you to notice with me, first of all, the reality. Verse 9. Here's what he says in verse 9 again. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. Here's the first thing I want you to see. No one can claim that they are right with God. No one. Nobody can claim that they're doing right with God. I would include you and I as believers in that. How do you know that, George? Well, because the Old Testament tells me that their sacrificial system wasn't for intentional sins. You, do you realize that? The sacrifices that the Jews had to make for their sins were not for intentional sins. It was for sins of ignorance. It was for the sins that they did ignorantly, not knowingly, so therefore they could go and make a sacrifice and find forgiveness for that. The intentional sins they had to face the consequences for. Now what's that got to do with us? The point is I'm trying to tell you is you think you're okay, but you're not. Why? Because you're a sinner. And here's how bad the sin problem is with you and with me. The problem with both of us is that we sin by nature and we even sin without knowing that we sin. Do you realize that? You do wrong without even knowing. You say, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I do good things. Yeah, but are you sure you do good things? What are you talking about, George? I'll give you an illustration. It's kind of like Christmas. <clears throat> I remember growing up in a Canon household. I always loved Christmas because I love Christmas morning and ripping those presents apart. And, but yet there was this thing in the Canon household that you had to buy dad a gift. Okay? Well, what do, you, what do you get dad? I don't know what to get dad. So mom would guide us into something, whatever. It might be a tie or it might be some cologne or something. Like, come on. I, that, so I would go to my dad and on Christmas, here's my gift for you, dad. But I had a mixed motive. I gave him the gift because what I wanted was, where's my gift? So on the appearance of it, it looked like a good thing. George is getting dad some aftershave that mom helped him buy. But the reality was is I'm getting him the gift so I can move on to my gifts. So what you get me, dad? Do you see the motive is what exposed my goodness? See, this is the thing. You think you're doing good, but the question is, what's your motive in doing good? Do you see what I'm saying? Nobody can say they're right with God. 
Because I would even go one step further and say, are you sure you're right with God? Because again, we do things out of what, folks? Ignorance. We say, wait a minute, George, that's pretty heavy. Like, well, what's the use in doing good? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying to you, we're understanding the dilemma that we're in. The dilemma is, Paul's pointing out, that nobody's right with God. And you're not any better than anybody else. And that's how we measure ourselves, right? Well, I'm not an axe murderer. I haven't done that. Yeah, but what have you done? What don't we know? What's in your closet? We're not right with God. Here's the second thing he points out with. Let's continue on. Here's what he says, verse 9. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. So nobody's right with God. Here's the reason why. Everybody stands under the power and condemnation of sin. Everybody. Whether you realize it or not, you were born into it. It was given to you the moment you were born. You were given a sin nature. You were corrupted the moment you were born. Oh, no. But I know our culture likes to say that everybody's good. Really? You know, we've had four kids in our home. Lori gave birth to four kids, four wonderful kids who are a blessing to us. Now, I'm going to tell you, when they were young and walking and, and learning about life, I did not have to take them aside and read them books on how to lie. I did not have to tell them stories and sing little songs telling them, mine, mine, mine. I did not have to teach them about the pecking order among little ones. Have you noticed that? Which we continue to this day, right? Or hitting someone. Where did that come from? Nobody teaches their kids to do that. Well, at least they shouldn't, right? Where did it come from? Within them. So from the very beginning, we begin to see what in their lives? The power of sin over their choices. And with that, the power that all of us are under the condemnation of sin. Bottom line, see, that's the terrible thing about the garden, okay? The terrible thing about the garden isn't that Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. The terrible thing is that with that, they, they're entered into humanity from that moment on sin. And we've been facing the consequences of that ever since. And you have, and I have. And that, my friends, is the human reality that we all live with. But to understand that, you've got to understand, well, maybe I'm the exception. No, you're not the exception, because this is the human condition. He goes through several verses, he quotes several verses from the Old Testament to tell us about where we're at as a people where you are at as a human being, and he's going to talk about the human condition here. Let's notice, first of all, verses 10 through 11. Notice what he says in verse 10 through 11. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All right, so from the very basis, here's the problem with humanity. Here's the human condition, okay? The fact is, no one truly seeks after God. Nobody's truly seeking after him. Well, I know lots of people who are seeking after God. Really? Maybe it's a God of their own creation, but seeking after the true God? Most people aren't. Hardly anybody is. Because when you come to him, you come just as you are. Nothing about you is righteous. No one understands. No one truly seeks after him. Do you understand? Now, he just told us in chapter 1 that people create gods in their own image. They're seeking after those gods, but seeking after the true God? No one's truly seeking after him. That's the human heart, folks. That's, I'm just going to be honest with you. And can I be honest with you? You know that because you yourself wrestle with that every day. How do you know that? How do you know that, George? Well, tell me. How easy is it for you to set time aside to read God's word for you in your life? How easy is it for you to set time aside to pray? How easy is it for you to go to God even with your difficulties and struggles? I mean, the reality is it's not that easy. Why? Because everything about you, your natural bent is to not go to God. It's to what? Do it on your own. So you already understand all of humanity isn't seeking after him. And here you are who know Jesus, and you still struggle with the same old urges, right? Same old struggles. That's the human condition. Here's the second thing I want you to see about the human condition. Verses 12 to 15, everyone's marked by all types of sins. We're all marked by sins. Now here's the problem. We live in a culture that classifies sins, and that classification is always changing. So I can think back to 30, 40 years ago, and there were certain sins that were like, man, nobody should do any of those, and here we are, we're living 30, 40 years later, and those sins are okay now, and the ones that we thought were okay to do 30, 40 years ago aren't okay today. What's going on? Culture's always changing. Culture's always defining what's right and what's not right. But the problem is, the Bible comes along and says to you, hey, you're all sinners. Because you all practice all types of sin. What are they? Look with me. Verse 12. They've all turned aside. That's it. They're doing their own thing. They have together become unprofitable. That's the productivity of their life. It's not producing anything in their life. There's no one who does good. No, not one. Again, that's getting back to the whole issue of the motives for why we do good. Look with me. He then talks about the way they talk. Now, you've got to agree with the, with the apostle here. Here's what he says about their speaking or our speaking. Their throat is an open tomb. Ever talk to somebody and it's like nothing but death coming out of their mouth? Not encouragement, not words of life, but words of death. Here it is. With their tongues, they practice deceit. 
deceit. You know, I was amazed, this is going back 30 years now, we, we had a president at that time who was known as somebody who practiced, who told lies. And, 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 and I thought, oh, surely people would be bothered by that. Well, I saw a poll, it was right after the election he won. It was a CBS poll in which they asked Americans, here's the reality, does it bother you that he lies? and that he's known as a liar. Does it bother you? And here's what the poll said. 75% of Americans cross party lines said no. Whoa! Now that doesn't say anything about the dude who became president. That says about our culture. In our culture, would everybody agree it's acceptable to what? Lie. Isn't it? And here's Paul, he's saying here, he's talking about humanity, with their tongues they practice deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Now what's an asp? It's a, it's a type of poisonous snake. Poison is under their lips. With whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. But yet here's also, their, swift or, their feet are swift to shed blood. Here's, here's the reality. Everyone's marked by all kinds of sin. You know, when you read that, you can't say, well, that's not talking about me. Really? Really? Just the tongue itself is enough to get me in trouble. And I'm sure that's true for all of us, right? So everyone is marked by all types of sin. Here's the next thing I want you to see about human condition. Verse 16 and 18, here's what he says. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace is not, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here's the next thing I want you to see. They exist in a world marked by the consequences and no fear of God. Consequences of what? Sin. You have to agree with that. Every one of you lives in a world marked by consequences. Typically, it's marked by your own consequences of what you've done. But even if you move beyond what you have done, you and I have to face the consequences of what everybody else has done, right? Of everybody else's wrong decision. And we live in that world, right? People sin, and we all face the consequences. You say, I don't know if I agree with that. Look, hey, just look at your news. Right now, there's a nation over there, Ukraine. One day it was peaceful. The next day somebody decided to start a war. Did the people in Ukraine want that? No. But they're facing the what now? The consequences of another man's sin, right? You and I, if we really think about it as we go through our lives, you and I face stuff that do people do wrong to us. You didn't ask for it. You didn't even know where it came from. You're offended because it happened, and, and it's like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And it's the consequences. Misery is a part of our lives, right? That's the human condition. So he goes on, and he wants to wrap this section up by talking about why they're condemned. So here's what he says. Look with me at verse 19 and 20. We'll look at first, first of all, verse 19. Here's what Paul writes. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. So here he's talking about the law, and he's talking about how we react to the law. And what he's pointing out is this. Here's my point. God's standards are not arbitrary. God's standards are not arbitrary, period. So I remember sometimes when my, my parents would leave and go somewhere, they might leave a list. They're going away for the weekend. Hey, we're going to go visit family up in North Carolina. George, you're, you're in charge while we're gone. Here's what we want you to do while we're gone. We want you to mow the yard. We want you to clean up this, clean up the shed. And, and we want you to do this weeding and blah, blah, blah. And there'd be a list of things to do. Now, here's, here's, here's what I did. Okay, this is what George would do. I go and goof off for most of the time. And I knew that they would be back Sunday afternoon. So guess what I would do about Sunday after I woke up? I would focus on doing the list. But I might do only, if there's a list of five things, I might do only three things. And in my mind, after I got the third one done, I'm thinking to myself, I did what they wanted me to do. Now, I didn't do two of them, but I did three of them. The other two were just arbitrary. Until dad came home and said, why didn't you do the other two? And then I would face the consequences. In my mind, I thought I could just do part of them. And you know what? Here's the problem. You could say, George, you're pretty dumb. No, we're all dumb. Because we all act that way with God, right? We think if we do 80% of what he tells us to do, we're, we're, we might as well just count it as 100 But Paul tells us that with the law of God, it will stop every mouth. It will quiet every excuse. And God's standards are not arbitrary. And so the reality is, is that humanity is condemned because it doesn't take too serious what God says. Here's the second thing I want you to see what it says. It says in verse 20, Verse 20, he points out this, a couple of things here. Excuse me, one more thing in verse 19. The whole world is accountable to God. We're all accountable to him. So his, arb his standards are not arbitrary, and we're accountable to him. Bottom line. That's what the world doesn't want to operate under. That's what we don't want to believe in. That's what most people, that's even, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. What do you mean I'm accountable? No, bottom line, you can't remove the accountability. You're accountable. So then it comes to verse 20, and here's what I want you to see. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So here is the secret. And this is the last thing he says before he moves on to another section. What do you mean the secret? So have you ever been around town and you talk to somebody if they're a believer and, and they'll say, yes, I keep the golden rule and the Ten Commandments. And you know what the golden rule is. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And have you met people who say they keep the Ten Commandments just as they're using God's name in vain? So, so people think 
that if they're doing the right things, they're okay. And they think that that's really what it's about. It's about making sure you do everything God told you to do. Now, I know Christians who live like that. Who think that if I do everything God tells me, if I, if I come to the service all the time, if I dress the right way, carry the right Bible, if I give, I serve, I'm okay with God. Here's what I want you to understand. The secret is, is that's not what the purpose of the law is. The purpose of the law wasn't, are you ready for this? To show you how to live. The purpose of the law was to expose who you really are. What do you mean? So here's the point. God's law only makes humanity conscious of its sin. That's the reality of, of what, what the law is. The law is the one who exposes you for doing wrong. So for instance, let's just say I'm single focused when I'm riding along, I'm just listening to my tunes, cruising through Kerwinsville for the first time, and I'm going 55. 55 through town, until I see the sign. What sign? The speed limit sign. And the speed limit sign tells me it's 25 through town, but I'm driving 55 because I'm keeping up with the guy in front of me. Now, what did the law just do? The law just pointed out to me that I am a lawbreaker. And it pointed out to me my sin. Now, here's the thing. Even after I know it's 25, do I kind of like slow down a little bit? No. My foot gets heavier. You know, got to get through town. Get back to the 55. And that's why he has somebody else with a blue light to show up and what? Tell me what the law is. See, here's the reality. God's law only makes you conscious of sin. It shows humanity its sin. Now, why would it do that? Because God's law is trying to tell you one thing, one thing only. You can't do it on your own. You can't make yourself right with God on your own. That's why you're condemned. So here he is. He's gone through three groups. The people who want to do it on their own, fine. They face the consequences, they're condemned. The people who are moral and, and judging others, well, they can't even live up to their own moral standards. They're judged. The people who are religious, they think they stand on the word of God, can quote it, be, quote, be teachers of morality, but the reality is, is that they themselves are doing the same thing and they've got all these empty religious practices. None of that does anything for standing with God and they're condemned. And by the way, if you're not in any of those three groups, hey, the rest of y'all are not doing good either because by nature, your condition is, is you're just going to turn away from God and you got a problem. Wow, that's heavy, George. So what do we do with that? Well, let me just buzz ahead. We'll talk about this more next week. I want you to look with me at verse 23 and 24. This is the hope for you and I, okay? Verse 23, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Well, isn't that just what you just said, George? Yeah, that's exactly what I just said. We've all sinned, we all fall short of the God, the glory of God. But look at verse 23, and this is what I want to finish with. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's doing. He wants you to understand what the faith is about and that the righteous live by faith. What faith do you have that you live in? Well, it shouldn't be faith in yourself. Shouldn't be faith in what you're doing or what kind of moral life you're leading. Shouldn't be faith in what you think you know about God's word or the religious stuff that you're doing. All that stuff he's just pointed out to us is meaningless and only leads to what? Condemnation. Well, then how do I find acceptance with God? You are freely, I like that word freely, don't you? Freely justified through what, folks? Grace. Grace in who? Jesus. That's what the faith is about. So let me go back to what I was saying earlier before the prayer about what Pastor Sternagel had played at his funeral. Just as I am. Without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. It's because of him. It has nothing to do with you or me. Is that not awesome? For some of you, that should be a freeing thing. What do you mean? Because some of you, yeah, you gave your life to Jesus years ago, but you're thinking about since that moment, you, you've got all these failures, these shames, these guilt, and you think somehow you're different. God sees you differently. That has nothing to do with your standing with God right now. If anything, that just proves that you are a what? A sinner. Your standing with God has nothing to do with you. It has to do with who, folks? Jesus. Who freely justified you by his what? Grace. Is that not awesome? And so from this point on, starting with verse 21, he's going to talk about what truly saves us. And that's what our message is. It's not all that other stuff. Because that other stuff is just heading to hell. It's Jesus who shows us grace. Let me pray for you.